Good morning, everybody. Happy Palm Sunday. It is so good to see you all this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at GFC, and I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have today. Over the last month or so, we've been in this series called Marks of a Disciple, where we've been just talking about, hey, what does it look like for us to be Jesus followers? It's kind of appropriate for us to kind of help define that before we move into Easter week and celebrate kind of the center and the epitome of why we follow Jesus. And so uh, we've been going through this uh, series, and it's been kind of a spinoff of our larger theme this year, where we've been in the book of Luke this year, and as we've been going through Luke, there's been different things Jesus has said or different episodes in Luke where it's spun us off into different conversations. And the, the episode in Luke that spun us off into marks of a disciple was from Luke chapter 5, where Jesus calls uh, Peter and some of the other disciples for the first time. And in this, uh, this story, you can read about it in Luke 5, 1 to 11. And they're out fishing, Peter and, his, and uh, his friends. They're not catching anything all night. Then they hear Jesus call to them and say, hey, throw out your nets on the other side of the boat. And they've been fishing all night. They're professional fishermen. I'm sure they were tired and cranky, but they did it anyway. And Jesus performs this miraculous thing where they catch all this fish. They come to shore and they just, they drop everything. And it's what it says in Luke 5, verse 11. It says, And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. All right? And if you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus. You're an apprentice of Jesus. You want to learn about his life. You want to get to know him, and you want to imitate him. And so that's what we've been doing in this series, Marks of a Disciple. And the first four marks that we've talked about are this. We've talked about how uh, disciples are called to seek the lost intentionally. They're called to follow the Holy Spirit relentlessly. They're called to obey God's word completely, and they're called to love his church wholeheartedly. So today we're going to talk about our next mark uh, of what it means to be a disciple. Before we get there, uh, just have a question to get us kind of started. Uh, The question is this, how do others know that you know Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Now, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, that's totally fine. We're so glad that you're here with us. I hope that this conversation today and the previous weeks, that it's just been helpful, helping to maybe define what a Jesus follower is for you. But if you are a Jesus follower, have you ever asked the question, you know, how do my friends, how do my family members, how do my coworkers or or the people around me, how do they know that I know Jesus? Well, we're going to dive into some passages from Scripture and just kind of uh, define that and see what Scripture has to say, because I think it's important. You know, if we want to follow Jesus and be his disciple, don't we want other people to know that we know Jesus, right? Is that for anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Like, yeah. Hopefully we want our friends, our family, and people around us to know that we know Jesus. So uh, first passage I want to go to is from the uh, book of Matthew. And we're going to be moving around a little bit today. And so if you want to follow along, there is the follow along at our website. You can go there. The next steps card has that QR code. Scan that. You can get all the notes and the, and the passages today. So because we're going to be moving around quite a bit. But Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be. Matthew 5, verses 15 to 16. And this is what it says. And this is Jesus talking. It's during his what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
And so Jesus says, hey, uh, people, they see the good deeds of your life, and it, it, it turns around, and people say, hey, I'm going to praise my, your heavenly Father. All right? So they see the good deeds, and they know who God is. All right, next, next passage, Philippians 2, 14 to 15. This is uh, the Apostle Paul's talking here. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Live clean, innocent lives. Is he telling us to make sure we all have our shampoo and our soap ready? Is that what he's saying? Well, hopefully we all have our shampoo and soap ready. But he's talking about morally, the way that we live our lives. Hopefully it's clean and innocent so that it what shines like bright lights in the world around us. Right, and last one, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he tells them this in John uh, 13. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. All right, so we see this idea of good deeds. We see this idea of live such a clean, innocent life. We see this idea of the way you love each other is the way the world will see and know that you know me. All right, so we see that if we're going to ask, answer this question, how do others know that you know Jesus? Uh, it seems quite clear from Scripture that the way we live our lives, our, our lifestyle, our good deeds, our acts of service, the character we have, the way we love and treat each other, that's the way people look at us and say, you know what, there's something different about you. You know, you claim to be a Christian. And it seems like your life actually lines up with that. Yeah, I think you know Jesus. Like that's the way other people see us. And they can, they can see, the scripture also talks about the fruit of our life. They can see the good deeds, the fruit of how we live and say, you know what? I think you are legit here. I think you actually do believe in this Jesus guy. And maybe you actually know him. So that's the way other people know that we know Jesus. Now, as Jesus followers, do we do this perfectly? No. We're going to mess up. Andrew messes up all the time. And the good thing is Jesus knows we're going to mess up. That's why he died on the cross for us, because we're not perfect. But the, the thought is that as we follow after Jesus, hopefully our lives look more and more like Jesus. And people see that, and they see our good deeds, and they say, you know what? I think he knows Jesus. But now let's ask our next question, which is this. How do you know that you know Jesus? We just talked about how do others know, but how do you know that you know Jesus? That's, that's a different question. Because people can do all sorts of external things, good deeds, service, uh, for all sorts of different reasons. And we can look at other people, and we can't see into their heart. We don't know what's really going on in their mind. We see their life, and we, and we can add, like, add it up with what Scripture says, and we can say, you know what? I think they know Jesus. But we live with ourselves, you know, we, we talk to ourselves more than anyone else. Like we, we know ourselves. And so it's a different question. You know, how do you know that you know Jesus? And uh, before we dive into some scripture, I think it's, we're going to see that uh, how others know you know Jesus is not how you know you know Jesus. There's going to be a difference, and I think Scripture is pretty clear on this. If others see our good deeds and say, you know what, I think they follow Jesus, we can't just point to our good deeds to know that. So let's, let's dive in. Again, sorry, we're moving around a lot, but Ephesians 2 is where we're going to go first. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. And this is the Apostle Paul. He says, 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So the Apostle Paul, you know, he's talking about this idea of salvation is by, by what? Does he say it's by all the good things we did last week? No. He says it's by grace, meaning it's a gift. It's something we didn't deserve, but he gave it to us anyway, and we can't take credit for it. He says salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And if we have salvation, that means we've entered into a new life with God. It means we know God. And so if salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, how do we know that we know Jesus? Well, I want to go to another passage from the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul, he's speaking here in Ephesians. Now we're going to go to a book called Philippians. And this is, a, this is going to be a rather long passage. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul is about to give us his resume, all right, for how good of a person he is, all right? If you, uh, if you uh, struggle with comparing yourselves to others, I can struggle with that. Reading this list sometimes can be like, holy cow, I can't stack up to the Apostle Paul. But listen to what he says. He says, uh, this is from Philippians 3. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. All right, so basically saying, hey, Uh, If you want to compare your lineage to my lineage, if you want to compare your heritage to my heritage, I got you beat. Basically, um, we don't have time to dive into all these things, but basically Paul is the cream of the crop. Like he's from the right tribe, you know, he's, his family practiced all the right um, rituals and different things. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he goes on and says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. All right, so he's like, hey, uh, if you want to look at your good deeds and how good you followed God, I got you beat. I followed all the commandments. I was a Pharisee. And he goes on and then says in verse 6, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This guy has like the perfect resume. Like if you were hiring uh, for a job, you look at it and say, man, I don't know if we can hire this guy. He's too good. We can't pay him enough. Like he's just too good. Paul goes on though in verse seven, and he, this is what he says. I once thought that these things were valuable. Now all of his good things, all of his good deeds, his heritage, his, this just amazing resume he has, He's thought, I thought they were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I don't know about you, but Usually when I do something good, I don't instantly think, that was garbage. Like that was worthless. No, usually when Andrew does something good, he holds on to it and goes, look at what I did. This is amazing. Look at how good I am. And I, and I, I try to boost myself up by holding on to that. But Paul's saying, no, all the good things, Andrew, everyone else, my good things are better than your good things. 
but it's like garbage to me because he's come to know Christ. And he says there in verse 9 that he's become one with him. He's become one with Christ. And he continues, and he says this, skipping to verse 10. Uh, He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So Paul, he, he, he lists all these good things about him. He says, you know what? These things are worthless compared to knowing Christ. And he says he's become one with Christ. But now he says, I want to, he wants to continue to know and experience. And this, this word know here, in the Greek, there's, there was different words uh, for, for this idea of knowing something. And the Greek word for this know is this idea of, of a relational experiencing. It's more of a sensory, like, uh, it's not just a head knowledge know. It's more of, I'm experiencing this knowledge. I'm getting to know it. It's like um, uh, when my wife and I, when we like to go to a new restaurant, um, I'm the type of person, I like to just show up to the restaurant and look at the menu. And I usually have three or four items in my mind. I'm like, all right, when the waitress comes, whatever comes out, that's what I'm getting. My wife is the complete opposite. She usually knows ahead of time, like a week in advance, what she's going to be ordering at the restaurant. I find that super stressful because I don't know how I'm going to feel in the moment, whatnot. She likes to know ahead of time that head knowledge. I like to just go with my gut and just experience like, all right, I'm here. Now I know that that's what I want. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's that knowing, experiencing, just continuing to deepen that relationship. So Paul's become one with Christ, but he's not done. He's, like, he's become one, but he wants to continue to know Christ. And this idea, uh, there, I guess the one thing I'd like to say is that knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are not the same thing. You can know Jesus here, but there's a difference from knowing him here and actually knowing him. You know, some of us know about Chris Pratt. But my guess is a lot of us actually don't know Chris Pratt. You know, if you know Chris Pratt, you know what movies he's in. You might know uh, what TV shows he's in. You might have a a positive opinion about him or a negative opinion about him. Or you may not even know who he is. And like, who in the world is Chris Pratt? That's okay. But my guess is probably none of us actually know the actor Chris Pratt. Where we could call him up and be like, yo, you should come to Easter at GFC. That would be amazing. Like, that would be cool. If you know Chris Pratt, please get him here on Easter. That would be awesome. But there's a difference there. And sometimes I think as Jesus followers, especially for someone like myself, where I grew up in the church, and I got to know Jesus pretty quickly. I got to know all the right answers. I got to know, hey, when the Sunday school teacher says this, I say that, and then I get, good job, Andrew. Like, I knew Jesus, but it took more time for me to actually know Jesus in a deeper way where I was one with Jesus and wanted to continue to know him. And the difference there is this idea of relationship. Relationship. Paul, the apostle Paul, he knew God. He had the Old Testament as a Pharisee. He would have known it so much better than any of us ever will. He knew about God. But it wasn't until he had an experience with Jesus that he actually got to know him and have a relationship with him. 
Sometimes as Jesus followers, I think there's some different ways that we can approach knowing Jesus. And uh, one of those ways is this, is that I think sometimes we can think about being a Jesus follower as a class. You know, where we, it's more about, you know what, I'm a student of the Lord Jesus, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn uh, theology, I'm going to learn the right verses about uh, who he is and how to disprove those who don't believe in him, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to Sunday school or to church or to my small group or whatever, and I'm going to learn about him and gain knowledge. And so that's the way we approach Jesus. I think sometimes we can approach Jesus as, as a lifestyle, where we think, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I should, uh, I should probably listen to, to Christian music, and I probably shouldn't wear those t-shirts, or at least not around my Christian friends, and I should probably, you know, interact maybe with this in culture, but not that in culture, and so we think about the way we live our life, and that's the way we approach Jesus. I think other times we can approach Jesus, being a Jesus follower, as a job, or a chore, or a duty. It's like, you know what, I know I need to get up. I know I need to come to church. Ching, I did it. I punched the card. I came. Or, you know, I know I need to read my Bible. Or, I know I need to tell somebody about Jesus. Or, I know. And we, we can approach it more as a chore or a duty. Now, I don't think any of those things are inherently wrong. It's good for us to come to and learn about Jesus and, and to, as Christians, have this class mentality. You know what? I want to stretch my mind and learn more about it more. Or, you know, approaching being a Jesus follower as a lifestyle change. Like, that's certainly true. Like, there are things that we should and shouldn't do as Jesus followers, and we should wrestle through those things. Especially as culture changes, it's not always black and white. Like, what should I do as a Jesus follower? And then sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it does feel like a chore. It's like, you know, I really want to do that thing, but I'm not going to. You know, I really want to sleep in, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to come to church because I haven't been there in a while. And I think that's okay. There's times where it can feel like that. But it can't just be one of those things. Because we see from Scripture that we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by His grace when we enter into relationship. Relationship. So, relationship is key to this idea of knowing Jesus. And Peter uh, in Luke 5, when he was called on that journey, and he went, and he, he left his fish, and he went and followed Jesus, he was taken on a journey for three years, and got to know Jesus, and build relationship with him. So, how do others know that you know God? It's by the good deeds, by the service, by the acts of love, by the way we live our life. But how do we know that we know God? It has to be more than just what we do externally. There has to be this relationship. And so the fifth mark that I'd like to talk about today is this, that a mark of a disciple is that a disciple knows Jesus intimately. Knows Jesus intimately. Now I want to pause before, I want to talk about intimacy. But before I get there, I don't want us to feel this sense of burden of like, man, all of these things, like seek the lost intentionally or relentlessly, or completely, or wholeheartedly, or intimately. Like, those can be intimidating words. It could be easy for us to look at this list and almost have this idea of, like, maybe the Apostle Paul could do these things, or the early disciples, or maybe there are certain Christians today who could do this, but I just can't measure up. If that's our mindset, we're going back to, you know, the good deeds thing. We're talking about relationships. And it's okay if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what, I struggle with these things, 
I want to tell you, I struggle with these things as well. I think we all are going to struggle with them at times. And so we don't need to look around and compare ourselves and say, you know what? I don't seek the lost as intentionally as that person. Or, you know what? That person just obeys God's word so completely. I'll never live up, so I'll just forget it. No, we don't need to worry about where others are at. We just need to sit with where we're at today and just process, where am I at when it comes to knowing Jesus? So let's talk about intimacy. What is intimacy? Intimacy is this idea of of growing deeper. It's a sense of depth in a relationship. And it can be easy sometimes to just think about the physical intimacy, and that's certainly a true thing. But there's more to intimacy than just the physical side. There's, there's different uh, aspects to intimacy. We can also have different levels of intimacy with different people. Some people we're just not going to have deep relationship with, and that's okay. We, we don't have the capacity to have deep relationship with everybody. Only God does. But there is a sense that we should be deepening uh, our relationships with other people. We certainly see that in, uh, in Scripture. And intimacy is this idea of there's depth, but it wants to keep on deepening. It's Paul saying, I'm one with Jesus, but I also want to keep getting to know Jesus. And one of my favorite things, uh, I heard a, a preacher say it like this a number of years ago, is that intimacy equals into me see. It's this idea of, you know what, I'm going to let you into who I am, and I'm going to then look into who you are. Now, does that sound scary or what? I think that can be a really terrifying thing at times. But intimacy comes when we peel back the layers and we allow others in to who we really are and we see into who they are. And I believe intimacy really comes, there has to be, it has to be a two-way street. Because you can be transparent and vulnerable with somebody else, or they with you, but if you're both not willing to do it, that's not really intimacy, that's just one person being vulnerable. Intimacy is about relationship, and so it has to be a two-way street. Now, intimacy, this idea of into me see, is something that I think can be, it can be a messy thing. It can be a difficult thing. But when we think about having a relationship with Jesus, my guess is that some of us, and I'm guilty of this, is when I first came to know Jesus, uh, I thought my relationship with Jesus was going to look like this first graph, that it was going to be up and to the right. And you know, if you're, if you're looking at spreadsheets or different things for budgets or, or profits or whatnot, you want it to go up and to the right, right? Like you want, like, man, there's growth, there's more money in, there's profit. This is awesome. Sometimes I think we can approach our relationship with Jesus like this. I know I did for a long time where I thought, you know, if I'm a good person, if I listen to my parents, if I go to church, if I, if I do the right thing, my relationship with Jesus will boop, just grow a little bit. And then if I get into God's word, it'll boop, grow a little bit. And then if I, you know, if I don't lie, I tell the truth, boop, it'll grow a little bit. And as, as I'm a good person, my relationship with God, I'll, it'll grow closer. I'll grow more mature in my faith. I'll grow closer to God. And I had this idea that, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, man, if I just keep on this path, I'm going to know God so well. I'm going to be so close to him because of how good I've been. And God's going to reward me for how good I've been. But that's not grace. Remember, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by grace. And if God owed us something, we wouldn't be saved by grace. So our relationship with God isn't like that, is that? 
I think we can be tempted, though, maybe to feel like it should be. It should be this, like, God, I did what you said to do. You should scratch my back, make me feel better, and boom, let's go up and to the right. But relationships are more like this next graph, right? Just think about a person you know well. My guess is there's been some ups and downs. Maybe, and, and for, for some of you, maybe the person you're, you're most intimate with, whether that's a friend or, or a spouse or a parent or a child, maybe it's not quite as messy as that. Maybe it's been up and then some little downs and whatnot. But there are, relationships tend to be a messy thing. And so my question is, why can't our relationship with God be like this? Why do we have to have the expectation that, you know, it's going to be up into the right? Again, if we're doing into me, see, we're letting God into me, allowing him to look into us and work in our heart, and he's inviting us to into him, see, and we're looking into him. Um, This relationship with God is unlike any other, but it's still a relationship between two beings. And guess what? One of those beings is not perfect. And that being that's not perfect is not God. It's you and me. So it's going to be messy at times. And are we okay with, you know what, maybe following Jesus isn't going to be as up and to the right and as picture perfect and all like flowers and rainbows like I thought. Like maybe it's going to be messy at times. And maybe because God is perfect and knows all things and is sovereign over everything, maybe he actually wants it to be a little messy so he can peel back the layers of our heart and force us to dive into his heart so that there can actually be intimacy. Because I'll tell you what, this, I'll just speak for myself. Usually when, when life doesn't get messy with God, usually I'm cool just sitting back and be like, I'm good coasting, God. I, I've grown a little bit. This is good. This is fun. I'm good just staying right here. It's usually not until life gets a little difficult, life gets a little hard, that where, at least for myself, the most intimacy with God has actually happened. And I think we see the same thing in Peter's life. Peter in Luke chapter 5 sees Jesus do this amazing miracle where he catches all this fish. He goes on this journey with Jesus for three years. He gets to know Jesus. But then, 2,000 years ago, during this upcoming week, Jesus is headed to the cross. The disciples are unsure of what's, what's going on. They, they don't really realize that Jesus is going to be crucified until it's already happened pretty much. But he tells them that difficult things are going to come. And Peter says, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to stick with you, Jesus, even if all of them abandon you. And what does, what does Jesus tell him? He says, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I don't think Peter, when Jesus said that, was like, dang it, I'm going to deny Jesus. I don't think he realized that. Because as we read in the story from the different Gospels, as Jesus is then on trial, Peter, he follows along like he, he's curious. He wants to know. He wants to be there for Jesus. But then as people come and point the finger at him and say, hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you a Jesus follower? Three times he denies him. The rooster crows. And then Peter goes out and he just weeps. He just balls his eyes out. He knew Jesus, but he didn't quite know him as much as he thought he did. His enthusiasm was, yeah, I'm going to stick with you, Jesus. But then when push came to shove, he was like, you know what? I don't want to go that far for you, Jesus. After Jesus is resurrected, in John 21, there's this amazing story where the disciples have seen Jesus. They've interacted with him. 
But they decide to go fishing, all right? And they're out fishing again. And uh, it sounds kind of familiar, uh, but they're out fishing and they're not catching anything until Jesus shows up and he calls out once again, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And they still don't, they don't realize it's Jesus because he's off at the shore and they're not like sh- sure who it is, but they do it and they catch all this fish and then they, they realize, oh my, it's Jesus. And Peter, he jumps out of the boat and he swims ashore, leaving all of his friends to get the fish. Like, thanks, Peter. Um, but they get to shore and Jesus is making breakfast for them. Now, think about Peter. He's just denied Jesus three times, yet Jesus is now alive. Like, have you ever been in, in a relationship or a friendship where there's this strain? And it's like that where it's gotten a little messy. And you're just like, is this person going to accept me back? Like, I've hurt them. I've denied them. I've done something wrong or they've done something to me. It's gotten a little messy. But Jesus intentionally pursues Peter. And this is the conversation that they have. This is John 21. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus isn't talking about physical lambs. He's talking about his followers. The next verse, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And the next one, it says, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I find it so amazing that Jesus pursues Peter. He wants intimacy with him. He, he comes after him, despite Peter denying him three times. Jesus, three times, gives him the opportunity to, do you love me? A couple days later, the answer was, mm, I don't love you enough to, 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 like, I want to deny you because I want to save my own skin. A couple days later, Jesus gives him the opportunity to proclaim that he loves him. And we know from, from, from the New Testament, from other uh, early church documents that Peter, he goes on and he, Jesus uses him mightily to establish the early church. And he goes on and he spreads the gospel all around the area. And at the end of his life, guess what Peter gets to do? He gets the chance where he could have denied Jesus again. But instead of doing that, Peter actually gives up his life for Jesus. From her church history, we learn that he, he was actually crucified him, himself. And so Peter, there's something that happened there in Peter's life. A depth of relationship and intimacy that grew. It was probably messy, like that one chart, but Jesus kept pursuing him. And so for us today, if we want to be Jesus followers, a mark of being a Jesus follower is having a relationship with Jesus, pursuing relationship, uh, knowing Jesus intimately. And again, we don't need to look around and compare ourselves to other people We need to just think about where am I at with that? So let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Is there any sense of relationship there at all? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not a Jesus follower, today, this week, would be a great time to, I would encourage you to think about that, especially as we move into Easter and we think about what Jesus has done for us. But if you're here today and you say you're a Jesus follower, is there a relationship there? Or maybe in this season, there, it doesn't feel like there is, but has there been in the past? Where are you? Just, you know, 
I don't know if you've ever heard of the term uh, define the relationship with somebody, have a DTR with somebody. Today, let's just have a DTR where we're at with our God. Are we having, are we in relationship with him? And if we are, how can we pursue some intimacy with him? And we don't need to be afraid of intimacy. Sometimes I think as people, um, there can be this sense of fear, but God already knows our hearts anyway. He created us and he loves us and died for us. So we can enter into intimacy with him. But to close our time, I just want to end with three things that I think can help us lean into having an intimate relationship with Jesus. And these are things that, there's so many more things we could talk about. These are just three things that I think are really important to any relationship when it comes to intimacy, but especially when it comes to knowing our God. And the first one is this, it's honesty. If intimacy is into me, see, then I need to be honest with God and let him see into my heart. Now, remember, he knows our heart anyway, but he's calling us into a relationship. So he wants us to, to let him in and see what's going on. And in the Psalms, the psalmist says this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. It's this idea of, God, I just I want you to come and, and know what's going on in here. You know better than I do, but I'm, I'm, I just want to be open and honest before you. And you can go to all different psalms where you see the psalmist just pouring out their heart to God, being open and honest with how good life is and how terrible life can be at times. As Jesus followers, we don't have to be stoics, meaning we don't have to just sit and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't save ourselves. That's why the cross is there. So we can be open and honest and bear our hearts to our God who knows it anyway. So why not? But we need to be honest with him. And maybe today you're struggling with something in your life and you're just sad or you're angry or you're confused. I'd encourage you to go to Psalm 77. That's a great place to go where the psalmist is literally just like, God, where are you? But he's taking what's in his heart and he's being open and honest. He's saying, God, intimacy, I'm angry at you or intimacy, I'm sad about life or whatever. We need to be honest with our Lord. The next one is curiosity. If honesty is about come be look into me, into me see, curiosity is about into him see. It's about looking into to him. And my question for you is if you're a Jesus follower, have you arrived in your knowledge about Jesus? Or is there any sense of curiosity about who he is? I'll tell you what, if I well, I do this sometimes, sometimes I assume I've arrived in my knowledge about my wife that's not a good place to be, all right? And it's not a good place for her to be on the other side and assume she knows all of Andrew. Or it's not good for us to ever assume we know everything about everyone. We know that's true about other humans. How much more is it true about the living God? And so are we, have we arrived in our relationship where we say, you know what, I know all there is, I'm good. I know all the stories. I've read the Sermon on the Mount, I know it. I know John 3.16. Or is there ever a sense of like, God, is there more I need to know about you? What are you doing in my life, Lord Jesus? I want to know. And, and so curiosity is about pursuing that. And again, in one of the Psalms, we see Psalm 119. It says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. 
The psalmist, he's talking about, God, open my eyes to what the truth I see in your word. It's pursuing it with curiosity and desire. And my question to you, Jesus followers, do you have any curiosity there? Because whether you've been a Jesus follower for four minutes or 40 years, there's still more that we can learn about our Savior. And there's more he might have in store for you. So are you curious about that? The last one is this. It's awe. What is awe? It's kind of a weird word. We don't use that often. Awe is this idea of sitting and basking in the wonder of who someone is or or what they've done. It's just sitting and being like, wow, it's so amazing who you are and what you've done. Think about people in your life. Maybe you know someone who's really gifted at, at singing or, or leadership, or they're like, man, your parenting is just so good, or man, you, you're so good at writing, or you're so good at, at gardening, or you're so good at whatever, or, or wow, you're such a patient person. Wow, you're so good in a crisis situation, or you're so good at building things, or whatever, and you just sit and you just find yourself just enjoying that person and being in awe of who they are, what they've done, like, Isn't that such a cool place to be where you know someone good enough and and you have that intimacy with them where you're just like, man, this is so cool to just know you. That's what awe is. And I think when we take our, when we come to before our God, especially when we have honesty about who we are and curiosity about who he is, it develops the sense of awe and desire and worship for him. And our last passage for today, I promise, it's Psalm 145. I just want to read the first few verses. Think about what the psalmist says here. He's sitting and basking in the wonder of who his God is. And he says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation, let its children Uh, of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Just imagine the psalmist thinking about creation that he would have read about in Genesis. Or I think... The psalmist is thinking about Moses and the Red Sea parting and God's glory displayed in Egypt and God's promises to Abraham. Or even the psalmist thinking about his own life, thinking about, man, how faithful our God is. Just being in awe of him. Church family, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, part of it is having relationship with our God. It's knowing him intimately. And so what are we doing to pursue him? This week during Easter, we celebrate him coming and pursuing us. But let's step into relationship. Let's desire intimacy. Let's be open and honest with him. Let's be curious about what he has in store for us. And let's praise him and sit in the awe of who our God is. And my guess is that through the messiness of our life, sometimes the messiness God allows to happen because he wants to to build intimacy with us. Through all of those things, I really believe a genuine relationship can can be had with our God. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity for us to gather as a church family and to grow closer with each other, but also to grow closer to you. 
Lord, you are our God. You are our Savior. We pray and ask that other people will see the good deeds in the service of our life and that they will be just curious about why we follow after you. And they'll know that we know you. But I pray also that for all of us here who are Jesus followers, might we not just settle for the head knowledge. Might we just not settle for the lifestyle change or or the duty of being your father. But no, may we step in and desire relationship. Might you take us on a journey deeper into your heart. Might we be open and honest about who we are. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this, this time of Easter. Thank you for being faithful and good. We love you. But thank you for loving us first. Amen.